morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Winner Winner PUBG Podcast. We're glad to have you here. My name is Mike, aka MTV Trigger, and I'll be your host for this episode. We are coming off of our standalone interview episode with the PUBG streamer Hambino. Make sure you check that out if you missed it. Today is all about PUBG. If you like Apex Legends or are curious about that game at all and haven't jumped in, make sure to download our Apex mini-series episodes. We've got a few more coming up. It's been a few weeks since our last PUBG episode, so we've got a lot to cover. We've got a full crew tonight with me for this episode. Heathy Keithy, our director of science. Hey. Grifflicious, our managing partner of making you better at PUBG. What's up, girl? And our very own executive vice president of cross-game communications, the One Heart. Hello. On the agenda today, there was a dev letter that was released this week on the 19th regarding the Arangel remaster, so we're going to dissect that. We just recently learned that Brandon Green, aka Player Unknown, gets a new role in PUBG. And finally, we're going to be talking about my favorite in-game tactic, aggression and when to use it. Spoiler alert, I like aggression, but probably use it too often. All right, gentlemen, before we dive in, how the heck are you? Have you been? I feel like it's been a while since we've all sat in front of our microphones at the same time. You know, I was going to say since we all got together, but we're all nerds here, so I know you don't go outside. So yeah, we're in front of our microphones. Heathy, have you zapped anything recently? Have you engineered anything exciting? Tell us about that. Yeah, I've been diving deep into fixing, well, modding my PC, I suppose. I built it into my bench so a while ago i built a bench for my pc so it's got a flat you know top on it obviously uh but then i built a wall onto the back of it as well that has downlight leds with missile switches you know the big toggle switches that you get like in a helicopter Mm -hmm. to turn on all the lights on and like a big kill switch on there as well just to turn it all off i recently hung up a big hook to hold my headphones which is great because i've just been tossing them on the bench and breaking them but yeah, now I've cut a big hole into the back of my bench and I've, I've mounted my PC into the actual wall in front of me. So it's not hanging off the wall like wall-mounted ones normally are. It's actually in like a nook. And yeah, just in the process of building that up and, and glassing it in. Hmm. Okay, so admittedly, when I saw the hook that you put on your wall for your headphones, I immediately, every time I'm done gaming, think about setting my headphones on my desk and I kind of get mad at you because I know there's a solution, but I'm just not going to do it. Oh, it's such a simple solution. I wish I'd have done it a long time ago. Because, yeah, I have broken headsets from that. Because every time you put them down, you kind of twist them. You know, and then you got to put them back on and your cable's all tangled up. And it gets more and more twisted and you never want to take the time to untwist it. You never want to say to your teammates, hang on, hang on, i just got to untwist my headphones. You just carry on with them all twisted up. Hey, Mike, you need to let me send you a picture of the headphones stand that I made. I can make you one of those, like, super easy. Yes. <laughs> I would never say no to that. I'm going to start in like a nerdy Etsy shop. That's what we're going to do. I'm just going to build these things. Everybody in the Winter Winter podcast, hit me up. Pat Griffelicious. Headphone stands. I got you. Well, since you're uh, opening an Etsy shop, we might as well move over to you. You've been pumping out some videos, man. Anything exciting from you on the horizon that we can expect? I'm doing some stuff. I wouldn't... Okay, so... <laughs> the word exciting, that's a, that's rather subjective. I feel like I've just been trying to do some fun stuff. Um, been streaming a lot more lately, trying to be more consistent. Still just trying to keep my regular schedule of trying to put out at least one video a week. Not going to admit right away that I'm running out of ideas, but definitely getting to that place where I have to be more creative about the solutions and looking at the things 
that I feel like I should be improving on or I see other people kind of faltering on in their gameplay. I've got a few ideas in the future, but definitely looking for suggestions. If anybody has ideas for why you suck at PUBG videos, or if you have questions or concerns, like things specifically that you would like to get better at, like totally hit me up, dude. I'm always open for ideas, so feel free. But after that, I actually do have uh, a couple of different ideas for some videos in the future. One I won't talk about, but one <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to get some feedback, not just from you guys, but from the community. I want to do a series called uh, uh, What What ha Happened Was and basically like take a 30 second chunk of gameplay and break it down as to like, here's what happened, here's what could have happened and how the whole thing might have played out differently. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm a big fan of the breakdown videos. I actually made a couple myself with my scuffed YouTube setup and got away from that, but I really like breaking down situations. I used to love watching game tapes when I played football, and I kind of used the same mentality to get better at PUBG. Hint, hint. Go for it, man. I Honestly, I think that'd be a great idea. Thank you. And Mr. One Heart. We've got some games in recently. I know you've been grinding some Ring of Elysium. But I also heard you say, because you said it to me, that you finally feel good about dropping back in PUBG now that the PC is starting to feel like home after the console switch late last year. Yeah, it finally doesn't feel straight up oppressive to drop in on PUBG. I mean, you still get bad drops, but I can actually like, you know, tab loot with some decent speed instead of just like missing the spot and losing it all. And, uh, you know, kind of control the recoil and, and, you know, snap to people. I think a big thing was finding the right DPI and, and really just getting some, some reps in. I think row was good for that because you can kind of just mindlessly switch a gun and keep moving. That was pretty helpful just playing that, focusing on getting a gun and shooting instead of getting a gun, switching it to auto, putting an attachment on and doing all those other things. So I really appreciate row for that. I've also just been meeting some really cool people and uh, getting in squad games with them. So, yeah, still playing a lot of row, but really just playing uh, Paradise over and over and over. <laughs> I can't <Sorry>. stop. <laughs> yeah, you've you've infected me. I really don't even care about getting out of there and trying to go for the win at this point. I'm just getting reps in. But good. I'm, yeah, I'm finally playing PUBG on PC without feeling like a total idiot. Just a little idiot, you know? What's been the hardest thing, even switching between PC games, what's been the hardest thing in PUBG specifically to get the handle on? I think at first it was just like the recoil felt like I'll never get it down. And now I pull off things that I'm really surprised about. It's also got such an unforgiving time to kill. If you're stuck in the open, we all know how hard it is to <laughs> kind of correct that, right? You really just have to be uh, playing, playing the dodgeball 5Ds and trying to get out of there instead like with other games you can really do something that's going to get you out of that crappy situation you can kind of heal up and maybe get back to it if you're caught in this game you're caught and if you don't have a shot to back it up screwed taking it a little slower when i'm trying to move from cover to cover and then actually being able to aim has been the hardest thing to kind of get down but i've been practicing like four x sprays in a row and i think that translated a lot to PUBG. so i don't know it's fun now yeah, so I was definitely out of practice when I got back into it because, you know, I made the switch over from from Xbox, but I hadn't been playing 
PUBG on Xbox that much because the state of the game over there is still in a in a state that just really wasn't super rewarding for the player. Uh, they got a lot to iron out. So I was playing other games. I was playing Blackout when I was still playing on Xbox, and and then I switched. And like I said, I was playing Row and then Apex and stuff. And those games were great for just letting me get the reps in with a mouse and keyboard and like learning how to do simple stuff like looting faster, you know, crouching and sliding and Apex, all that stuff. So finally, I can take that and, and apply it back to PUBG, but I'm out of practice for the right mindset. We'll talk about aggression, like you said, Trigger. All I know is I get rewarded for aggression in other games and I get punished a lot more in PUBG. So it's just slowing it down and being a little bit more pragmatic before you decide to go and do a thing. Oh, I can't wait to disagree with you. It's going to be great. <laughs> all right, I'm down. <laughs> We're not all as good as hitting our Carnet 8 shots as you, so... You kind of get uh, get away with it a little more. He does a lot better when he's not streaming. Yeah, talk about the not streaming. No, it's a great point. I mean, one of the things I've noticed, so I do a one PC stream setup, and I had kind of convinced myself that the 20 frames drop from you know running between 120 and 135 frames per second down to when I'm streaming, I will run between 100 and 115 and sometimes jumping into the 120s. I had myself convinced that it wasn't really affecting me a whole lot, but recently I've actually been playing a lot of games off stream, and I've been noticing an insane difference. I've won games on stream, I've had good games, but I've consistently had better games off stream, specifically in the kill count and in close quarters. So it's something that I'm paying close attention to. I'm considering getting a second PC just to get that burden off of my current computer and push frames because it really does matter. I'm not a hardware guy, but it is very, very noticeable. I played just last weekend. I played a probably 15 hours of PUBG off stream. It was absolutely eye opening for me how much better I was playing with the increased frames. So do you think maybe it's just that smoothness? Like, do you feel it's more than just a placebo effect, but it really does have to do with maybe some sort of inherent input lag from your GPU having to push out more stuff or just the smoothness of, of having more frames, more refresh rate? So I hate to plug your stuff, Griff. I just don't want to do it, but I'm going to. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so you uh, you did a video, and this is just kind of funny that it's coming up, but you did a video about getting ready to play and going into the test area. I don't even know what it's called because I haven't done it until recently, really. But I started doing that before playing. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed when I was streaming was that my flick shots, I was having to correct twice. Because of the decreased frames, I was having to, like if I was going to practice a flick shot to the left, I would flick left flick right and then flick back left before I could hit the shot on a 90 or 180 degree flick. Weird. When I was doing it off stream, to your point, the smoothness, the frames, everything, I would flick left and then flick once back right before hitting the shot. To me, it was extremely noticeable. And then when I was doing it in game, it was like, oh, I'm killing people way more efficiently. And I'm doing what I'm trying to do. So, again, I'm not, I don't know about the GPU and the CPU and the load on them. All I know is I was killing people easier 
with the higher frame rate. I will vouch for that. It might be something to do with maybe your hardware and its ability to respond to input and output, like both visually and physically. So I have a single PC setup as well. So I decided that I would do myself the service of going, okay, I can get a 900p stream at 60 frames if I cap my in-game frame rate at 80 frames. So by extension, whether I'm streaming or not streaming, I just play at a cap frame rate at 80 frames, even though when I'm not streaming, I could get 120 to 140 frames in game. And I have a nice high refresh rate monitor. The point was, is that I was setting myself up to getting used to an environment in which this was always the way that I knew and understood PUBG. Kind of like when you look back at Halo 2 and you realize, oh, that game was only running at 30 frames a second. Like you didn't have any idea in comparison because the time, you know, separates whatever. Point is you get accustomed to whatever it is that you're playing and you don't think about it in terms of anything else if that's what you know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good tip because honestly, I wasn't planning on talking about it tonight, but it came up. So it's something that I'm going to be monitoring and playing around with. And again, I'm probably the most simple-minded person when it comes to in-game setups. For example, when I go to play Counter-Strike or any FPS game, I've been playing FPS for so long on PC that really the only thing that I set up is my sensitivity so that the one mouse movement that I know does a 180-degree turn. Right. That's really all I care about. And I realized that there's more to it than that because... When I flick back or you're flicking left and right, it's just different. And I know that sounds overly simplistic. It is. And I just can't believe I let myself go so long without looking into it. (laughs) I'll tell you for myself, I've actually been thinking about whether or not to do any content on mouse sensitivity and how to set that up. I find like the most intuitive way of thinking about how it is I'm going to move my character or move my camera is I have a big enough mouse pad. So I think about moving all the way left and all the way right, how much real estate should I realistically need to cover in order to move the camera to which I feel is sufficient? And for any new players out there trying to figure out like, what kind of sensitivity should I be setting this to? What should my DPI be? What should my in-game settings be? Think about your mouse hand going in the back of somebody's head. It's kind of morbid, (laughs) but stick with me. You're sticking your hand through the back of their head And now you're using their head to survey the landscape in front of you. How far do you feel? Again, this is subjective because you're feeling it. How far do you feel you should have to move in order to cover the space in which you feel like you should be covering? I feel like that's a good way to kind of gauge how sensitive or unsensitive your mouse should be. It's got weird. I'm just picturing someone like holding onto a brain like it's a mouse and just like clicking on the left side of the brain, like it firing off. It's just uh, weird yeah. stuff going on in my head. Thanks for that. You know, sometimes when you go to spectator mode as well, and it actually, you can see the eyeballs inside the head in game. Do you ever see that? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah sure. That's what I'm picturing right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's all really good points. I mean, the moral of the story for me is I was dealing with something that I just got used to tried something different kind of on accident and found out that I had the opportunity to get better with some small changes. So I'm going to take a look at them. Better. It was crazy because I played a duo with you the other day and then I died early and you were like, oh, I'll just, I'll go back to lobby. I'm sitting, no man, this like, I'll watch you on 
your stream sometimes anyway. I'm like, I'll just make a cup of coffee. This is just like watching your stream. And you were just crushing it. It was ridiculous. Way better than your normal stream. Hey, I've also been dead watching Trigger recently. Yeah, he's been going off. (laughs) (laughs) One of our pastimes is just to be dead and watch Trigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we get a direct access to his uh, chat. We just just bug him in-game, you know. Moral of the story is sometimes Trigger sucks and sometimes he's really good. Mm, Just like us all. That's really how I describe myself as moments of excellence and moments of just pure bad. Bro, right there with you. I think that's like PUBG as a whole, right? Man, I feel really good about myself, PUBG. Nah, we're about to fix that. That was meant to be. That was our five-minute introduction, was it? Wee! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 20 minutes later. (laughs) I mean, as with everything, if we say we're going to be five minutes, it'll be 20 every time. Yeah, we should know better by now. We don't know how to speed through things. But let's get into it, right? Yeah, let's talk about the dev letter that just came out. So PUBG put out a dev letter this week. It came out on Tuesday. They always release shit every time we do a fucking podcast. Yeah, it's the first time they actually put out news before we recorded the fucking show. I'm so excited because every other time, I swear to God, we do a a recording and I wake up the next morning with like, oh, by the way, we're going to be doing this, this and this. I'm like, God damn it, PUBG. Where the fuck were you last night? Exactly. All right. So in this letter, they touched on the spawn rates over time, spawn rate versus pickup rate. And they did that in esports mode, which I didn't quite understand. They talked about the goal of rebalancing, and they gave the good old reminder, remember that the test server is just for testing, nothing final until it hits the live server. So let's break these down one by one, because I think it's super interesting to look at each point in detail. So first, let's look at spawn rates over time. There's a graph in the letter that shows how much loot spawns in Erangel from August 2017 through December 2018. In one of the early episodes on this podcast, one of the hosts pointed out PUBG's creative or artistic use of graphs. So because of that, I always look at them with a little more scrutiny. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that jumped out to me was the size of this graph. Perhaps the zoom would be the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And it looks like there's a major increase in loot spawns. But if you look at the y-axis... It shows that the quantity that started in 2017 was 22,500 spawn items, and at the end of 2018, it's up to 25,000. So it's only a 10% increase, but the zoom on the map makes it look enormous. And what is the 25,000? What does that even mean? Is that per match? Is that what? Is, what is that? Possible locations or something like that. Per match, there's only 6,872 loot items, which they list in the next graph down. So where are they getting this 25,000 from? Yeah, is that shotgun chokes that spawned in a month? They always like don't actually list one of their axes as what it really means. So yeah, you're just meant to look at the graph and go, oh, nice, good work, guys. Yeah, you were going up. But like you say, it's 10% at best on competitive map that we're not playing. Like Who's, who's playing that? If you're dropping during the day, you definitely can't get into solos on it. You've got to play squads or you've got to play on the European servers. Or you just got to wait for Chaco Taco to get up. Didn't they already have more loot on the esports map anyway? They do. Only in the competitive mode, though, which to me is very interesting. And Trigger, do we have a moment for a tangent? Yeah. We always have a moment for a tangent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand on my soapbox for just a moment. PUBG is the only game in modern time that recognizes 
and fosters a competitive scene, but also acknowledges that the game in which the public plays and the game in which the competitive scene plays needs to be separated and has been given special treatment, i.e. competitive play has a different rate of spawn for assault rifles and sniper rifles, and the circles and play zone changes differently than they do on live servers. Now, for comparison, League of Legends is a game that is played both competitively and casually. And in their competitive pro league, they play the game one patch behind what is live. So typically that means if this is season 9, if patch 9.5 is live on the server which the casual market can play, then the competitive scene on stage is playing 9.4. The reason they do that is because they want to have the all the time that they've invested playing at home on live servers to carry over into the competitive scene for that week or the next two weeks or whatever until the next patch comes out. Every other game has always played the exact same game that everybody can play at home. PUBG is the only game that says, hey, you know the game that everybody plays and loves? Well, uh, we want it to be an eSport, but it's not quite viable enough to be an eSport. So we're going to go ahead and change a few rules and a few, few settings because we realize that the game that everybody else plays is not good enough to be an eSport. Okay, so what incentive do you have as a casual player to like, oh, I'm going to go pro in PUBG. Well, just so you know, the game they play and the game we play are very different and it's never going to have any parity until they decide that we need to have some sort of competitive queue and have some parity between the two. You bring up a really good point there, specifically related to the queue. And one of the most common complaints in the community right now, and we alluded to it earlier with solo queue on Erangel, is how long it takes to get into a match. Terrible. It can be, right? And we cried for map selection, and now it should probably be taken away. But I think more importantly, in every game that has a competitive queue function, every single person out there expects that queue to take longer for matchmaking. Mm-hmm. I think by simply introducing a competitive queue, they could silence, for the most part, this whole thought of queue time outrage that's going on in the community by simply giving people that same button that they know and love in every other competitive game that doesn't have the same mode for casual as they do competitive. Good examples of that would be Counter-Strike and Halo 3. Like, both of those games acknowledged that the competitive scene was different than what the casual scene was, created specific playlists for those specific settings, and then said, okay, if you want to play the same way they do in MLG or IEM or whatever, here's the settings and here's the cue for that. And that was the end of my point. I was like, surely after two seconds, somebody else was going to talk, right? What the <laughs> so that was an awesome tangent. <laughs> So on the next graph. <laughs> so I think loot spawns and the quantity of them, in my opinion, is by far the least interesting part of this dev letter. Mm. I think they put it in there because it definitely leads into the subsequent two points, which are more interesting. 
So let's look at spawn rate versus pickup rate, which is the next one. I think it's more interesting than just how many items spawn. And again, the link to this PUBG dev report will be in the show notes. So if you're wondering what we're looking at, go click that. It's down below or hit back or whatever you got to do to find that. But what they showed next was 15 common locations, the amount of loot on average that spawns there, and on average, how much of that loot leaves the area, showing you how much loot remains there. Which is total garbage. In some areas, that's absolutely true. But that's why it's far more interesting to me, because there's already hot drops that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. And this is because of the loot that spawns there. Yep. Or they used to spawn there because don't tell me they didn't fuck with that over time. Look at the old like wacky jacky buildings. They don't have the same guaranteed loot. So wacky jacky is a building. That's what we called them for a while. The god buildings, yeah, the kind of warehousey things. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, no, but then the, the, I thought the god buildings were the like cement ones. But uh, anyway, there was like guaranteed spots on Miramar that like we knew where good loot was going to be. I'm just talking about in general, like loot has been messed right. with. Someone's been messing with it, and they just try and deny it over and over. So I don't know. I, they've always messed with their loot. You bring up a good point because there are buildings that they have specifically modified on other maps as well. And they've removed those from the map in many cases on Miramar. But more importantly, this means that they're looking at the places that aren't necessarily balanced from the quality of loot standpoint by saying, hey, if we spawn this much loot here and only a third of it is leaving, it's probably something we need to look at. Not necessarily that every spot needs to be a hot drop, but if there's areas that people are dropping and none of the loot is leaving... That could mean a number of things. It could be one, no one ever drops there, so no loot's leaving. Or number two, that the quality of loot or quantity of loot or the number of quick draw pistol mags that drops is way too high. Well, and I can tell you from my experience, I've had multiple instances in the past where, let's take Gadka, for instance. This is a place on the map they feel is important enough to necessitate a name on the map. I've landed there and not gotten in a single assault rifle. Like, that should say a lot about the the loot density on your map. Yet, you look at Georgia Pool as a whole, right? And they're like, oh, there's so many assault rifle spawns there. Do you know how long it would take to loot every building in Georgia Pool? It's a ridiculous amount. Those apartments are the worst to loot. Like, that's part of the reason I don't even like going there. And if I do, I'm hitting, like... South George back six, skipping those right. big apartments, and then hitting the, the three doubles. You, you know, mm-hmm. everyone knows, like, I think immediately what we're talking about there. It's like, yeah, just go right yeah. around those. The only good thing about those apartments is the fact that you're higher up than everybody else and might have a nice vantage point. I'm the idiot that always goes to those high buildings and I get right up the top there and all I have is a pistol. Mm-hmm. The biggest troll on the entire map of Erangel is Yasnaya. The entire city of Yasnaya is a troll to players. If Yasnaya had the same density and the same amount of loot, let's say per capita, those locations, I'm not talking about buildings, I'm saying those locations had the same loot per capita of one another, there's no way in hell you're going to find loot in Yasnaya on any efficient level. It would take way too long. They have... Way too many complexes that are two and three story apartment buildings. 
I think there's at least, what, eight? Eight or ten, if I'm not mistaken. Not to mention all the other random two-story buildings, a church here and there. I think there's a cafe building. Like, there's just way too much. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people don't go to that city because they realize that it is a massive waste of time and it is an efficient waste of time, an inefficient waste of time. Also, just a hard area to scan, you know, after, after the initial drop. And, you, you know, if you don't know who's in there and you don't have that intel before you go in there, it's a pretty dangerous spot to go into. You don't want to drive through it. You know, the, the street is terrible to drive through. Blown up cars strewn everywhere. I mean, it's just... Agreed. You're going to get screwed. You probably just hit something and then get killed. Did anyone actually read through this whole thing to see if they're going to get rid of all the different types of magazines, clips? You know, like with the pistol clip, there's three different pistol clips. They didn't mention it specifically mm. on exactly how they're going to modify. So that leads us into the final section of the dev letter. What they're talking about is the loot balance or the spawn rate specifically of the quote unquote fun guns, the ARs, the DMRs, the SRs, the guns everybody wants to use, I think is the way mm -hmm. I would put it. And they make a direct comparison from Erangel to Sandhawk. And then they go on to say they don't want Erangel to just feel like a bigger Sandhawk. But what you guys were talking to made me think about really the validity of these graphs. Because you guys just talked about the feeling. The feeling of going to a city and knowing that you're going to go into one of these big buildings and come out with a pistol. If you look at the drop rate of ARs, DMRs, SRs compared to what they're doing in Sandhawk currently, it's roughly half of the drops that you see on Sandhawk. So in general, there's two times per density the number of ARs, DMRs, SRs, which I think everybody knows. Mm -hmm. If you look at the loop balancing table below, where it shows just specifically what gun's going to come up, you're, you have an almost 9% chance to get a handgun on Erangel. But Sandhawk's only about 2%. So not only is it harder to find an AR, I don't even see them that often. I don't even, like, I, I can't find them on Sandhawk half the time. Not that I'm going to use it. I'm never going to switch to that pistol mid-game unless it's by accident. You have a 9% chance to get a pistol. Oh. It's just the worst time. So, I mean, that's, so that also plays into it. It's like, why is there such a heavy weight to a worthless weapon. Okay, I'm taking my opportunity for a tangent because you <laughs> talked about switching to the third weapon slot and never doing it in the mid-game and beyond. Why does the flare gun not do damage? Yeah, that thing is cool. Well, have you ever been shot with a flare gun? Yes, I've been shot with a flare gun. Did nothing. Of course you have. God damn it, nobody's asking you. <laughs> I shoot them every chance I get in a close range scenario at an enemy because that thing is so loud and no one expects it. I want them to freak out. But more importantly, I want that thing to be a super Molotov. I want that thing burning a building down when I shoot it at somebody's feet. Not a bad point. I've actually used it as like as like a type of equipment like trying to distract my enemies and make noise. Definitely, yeah. It totally worked out, by the way. I mean, you can shoot off like two or three of them and it won't matter because there's still seven more on the map. Yeah, there's way too many flare guns. Should we just quickly explain how to use the flare gun? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but I've watched a lot of people mess it up. 
do not shoot it at any angle other than straight up in the air or you will waste it. That being said, you can't actually aim straight up in the air. You aim on a slight angle. All right. As far up as you can. Okay. If you shoot that shit at a 45 degree angle, you wasted your flare gun shot. A little more nuance than that, right, Trigger? There's a little more going on there. Yeah, so you've got the phases, right? So you have to wait till phase one circle is going before you can get the big loot crate. If you are outside of where the next blue zone is going to come into, you will automatically get the armored US. If it's available. If it's available. Hang on, what do you mean if it's available? Do they have to get one from another dealership? Basically, if your dad knows the guy who works at the dealership and he's really tied in with you know, the manager, then they can probably work out a sweet deal to get you one of those armored U.S.s for like on the cheap. They're 100% on the cheap though because those things do not take very many bullets. <laughs> no. Well, the way it works is whenever you pick up the uh, flare gun, you're automatically privy to the type of equipment and the availability of the equipment that is available to be administered through the shot of the flare gun. So when you pick it up right above your mini map, you're going to see uh, a crate and a number and armored you as and a number. Those numbers aren't limited to just those numbers. With the shift of every circle, those numbers go up. It's like a refresh each round. Yeah. 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 When the new circle shifts, it refreshes. If you're within the next play zone, you can shoot your flare gun up in the air and you'll have the availability to get a crate. But just note that if anybody else has a flare gun and they're in the circle, they're fighting to do the exact same thing. So if their flare goes up before your flare, you've wasted your flare. Essentially, you might still get the vehicle, but they're going to be the ones that get the crate because they fired theirs first. Thank you for explaining that. There's been a bit of a fireworks display nearly every game I've played, especially in the first like 10 seconds of the game. I just keep watching my friends fuck it up. And they're like, all right, I'm going to go shoot this flare now. It's like, well, it's, we're not, we're not meeting any of the requirements, guys, like at all. And they're like, all right, all right. So we got to get in the zone. They get in the zone. They're like, all right, I shot the flare. It's like, you shot it at the ground. What are you? <laughs> it looks pretty. I want it right here. Right here. That's where I want the fucking thing to land. The landing area. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how we talked about a dealership throughout this. <laughs> But I think loot is the most polarizing and most interesting subject in this game. Everyone's got an opinion on the best loadout. Everyone's got an opinion of the town that's the best, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I want to come back to is they are being intentional about rebalancing the map that everyone fell in love with specifically related to loot, loot density, and the areas that we all know and love without compromising the original feel. That is clear from the dev letter. I think that's phenomenal that it's the stance they're taking, but I want to ask each of you, what do you think they should do if there was one thing that they needed to do to make Aaron Gell great again? <laughs> Cringe. Cringe. There it is. There <laughs> it is. Uh, who wants to go first? I want to hear the scientists. Yeah. Um, well, what I was trying to say before, except you kept stifling me over and over again is um, take out all the pistol clips. Just have one pistol clip if you're going to have them at all. Maybe just get rid of them altogether and make all the pistol mags longer and just from standard. So that's you know a huge percentage of the magazine drop. Basically a 9% chance in Arangol of finding that when you walk into a room and you look at the ground. And then there's muzzle at 5.5%. So if you get rid of, say, one of the two shotgun muzzles as well, just get rid of them. We don't need two different types. 
Did you even notice? Do you notice using the duckbill or the choke? I've never once attached the duckbill to a shotgun. <laughs> I mean, I've put them on, but I don't notice like, oh my God, I got way more kills. This is like. Yeah, exactly right. Just get rid of them, magazines altogether. And even, even with the SMGs, whatever, you don't need a quick draw and an extended and an extended quick draw. Just one. One's great. Okay, so your overall opinion is they need to remove most of, if not all, of the useless or no one wants type of attachments. Correct. Yeah. We got a handful of grips. We got a handful of, of usually pointless pistol mags and all that stuff. And now we have candid sights in there. I mean, we've they say they've added all this loot, you know, when we've gotten 10% more loot or whatever, but we really just have 10% more bullshit. Tell me I'm wrong. You know what I mean? I'll set up my college campus little fucking thing. Tell me I'm wrong, you know? There's no way that you're, you're actually seeing more weapons on Erringal than you did six months ago. Well, you just hit a key point, and I think that's the whole reason why I had this sort of like sideways look on my face when I read this. They're talking about loot spawns, and they didn't talk about the guns that we want to hear about until the final section, right? So there's loot spawns, which I think we all agree there's, there's more crap on the map. And we all, there's a little bit more stuff. And I think a lot of that has to do with just them removing the clothing, right? There's no more clothing spawns. It's interesting because there's more clutter. I don't need a canted sight if I can only find quick draw mags for a pistol. True. So one heart went off of Heath's point and maybe just added a little more to it. But is there something else specific that you would like to see changed as they're looking at rebalancing? I don't mind having a naked gun as much as I mind having all the attachments for a gun and no fucking gun to put it on. I'm just tired of it. You know, Vikendi kind of uh, highlighted it a little too much because you would just run around with, you know, 16 suppressors for your DMR and you couldn't find one. But I I don't want to feel that at any point. I just want the gun. So I'd rather have to get used to using the barrel with nothing on it. God, that sounds horrible to say, but like, I'd rather have that than just have every attachment I need, but I can't find the gun that I need. I'd rather have more guns on the map, more ammo next to it. I'm tired of finding a gun with one ammo box. Like, great, I have an AK and I can shoot it once in squads and then I'm out of ammo. More ammo next to the ARs and more ARs and maybe just less attachments overall. Make those the hard things to find. Make finalizing that perfect loadout the harder thing to do rather than i'll have all the things i need maybe i'll maybe i'll find that gun i'll just hold on to it you're talking about not only removing maybe some of the spawns we don't use but just more specifically getting ammo next to the gun when it's at when you actually find the gun yeah yeah ammo can be a little too scarce sometimes on an erringal in particular i feel like you're not going to have that issue when every five feet on sandhoff there is an AR of some type. You definitely have that on Erringal where it's like, man, I found an AK, but only 30 bullets. What am I going to do with this? I, I would like at least two to maybe three, right? Of 30, you know, 30 packs of bullets. And I don't need quite as many of the attachments. Those should be the rare things, not just the gun itself. Okay. Well, let's move on to uh, Grifflicious. What do you got for us, man? What's the one change you'd like to see? just one i've been giving it some thought and i've been listening to this and i've been channeling the spirits of all of the twitch streamers and professional PUBG players during the past five ten minutes of this conversation 
and I think I've become an Erangel apologist, only because I have logic to back that up. Let me explain. Do you have a graph? I don't have a graph. What I do have is anecdotal evidence that you may or may not agree with, okay? It's either going to be good or it's not, but here's how I feel about it. When Sandhawk launched, it introduced a style of gameplay that was previously not available in PUBG. It was, the circles were faster, the loot was more abundant, but those two things played in tandem to one another because they understood that you're not going to have enough time to loot if the circle is constantly moving and pushing you towards the middle. Cool, I get that. When you look at Erangel, that is a map that whenever I play it to this day, if I make it to the top 20 situation, I rarely am in a position where I don't have all the things I need. And the reason for that is the map is larger, the circles are smaller, and yes, I do have to loot a few more buildings and I have to look at a few more different places and maybe get in a couple of fights to get all the things I need. But the point is, when I get to that situation, I have everything I need. And for competitive play, they understood that, okay, maybe it was a little too slow. It works for streamers. Maybe it works for the casual player. But in order to keep the competitive esports aspect of this game at a place where we feel that it's enjoyable to watch and it's fun and it's fast paced and it's intuitive and anybody can pick it up and watch it at any point, we're going to have to make things a little faster. Well, when you make the game a little bit faster, what are you going to have to do? We're going to have to cut down the amount of time players are going to have to spend looting to find the things they need to be to be effective later into the game. Okay, cool. We'll up the spawn rate of assault rifles and sniper rifles. Really what this is, is it's a design decision. And the the developers have been very candid about the way that they've explained this in the past. And I know that there's been a lot of controversy by the way they said that we want every game of Erangel to be one in five is successful. So four out of the five times you land, your loot's going to suck and you're going to have a bad time. It's frustrating. I get that. But if you're somebody who's fortunate enough to survive, then you feel like the lucky one. Okay, cool. Now my narrative is building. I'm going from one to 100. It's this whole journey that I'm on and you feel it every step of the way. They can't just adjust the guns. Then they would have have to adjust the pace at which the game is played. Okay, cool. There's more assault rifles on Erangel. Well, now the circle is going to have to be considerably faster because now everybody has more guns to kill people more quickly. And it can't just sustain the way that it is. Everything about it is going to have to change. They're going to have to set it in a way that it mirrors more of their competitive play and has to become a more in-between the original Erangel and the precedent that Sandhawk set when it was released. I agree with that to a degree. You definitely get into these rhythms on Sandhawk where you have the gun you want, you have your M4 that you really love, and you have your Car 98 or M24 or whatever it might be that, you know, it feels very samey. You know, I landed at Paradise and I left Paradise and I had everything I needed and now we're just going to go run through this game. We're going to chase crates and it's just action, action, action. You don't need that to be the narrative on every single map. But do I really want to have to run into the next zone with like absolute dog shit almost all the time? Because it's especially when you're playing squads. So I play more squads than anything now. The fact that we have so many cool people in our community and, you know, through the other podcast communities and stuff that we have, you know, hot drop and drop zone. There's always a team to find. And I generally don't like playing solo as much anymore. It was great when I was, you know, learning more on, on Xbox and just learning 
the pacing of PUBG. But how many times you have one good gun, barely any meds, and you know all this other stuff, and your teammate can't help you at all because they have a shotgun and an SMG, and you're just like, well, I guess we'll just it'll just be me. I'll try and do it. And that's a great point to bring up. I think if we really want to talk about adjusting the loot and the way the game is played, it needs to be adjusted the same way that RPGs or MMORPGs adjust games and just difficulties in those games based on the amount of players in that game. I think Borderlands was one of those games where the game scaled in difficulty based on how many people were in your party. I think PUBG should work the exact same way. Loot should scale based on the amount of people per team. You and four other teams land in Pachinki. If one person walks out of there with an assault rifle and the other two have SMGs and one guy has a pistol or a shotgun, like, that's going to suck. And that's after the other three teams are dead. And there's still shit loot? That shouldn't be. I think you're on to right. something with that, actually. That's, that's actually really awesome. Because one person can leave in solos, no problem. Yeah. Like, that's if you're the last man standing in Pachinki after... 12 other people have died, then yes, good on you. You deserve good loot. But if you and three of your teammates land there and there's only enough loot to really get two people fully kitted, then it's not worth your time. How many times have you looked at a spot on the map and went, yeah, that works for duos and it works for singles, but for the four of us, that's not going to be good enough. Like, those are conscious decisions that squads make because they understand intrinsically that these places on the map don't provide enough opportunities for them to get all the things and all the tools they need to be successful throughout the game. Then they, you know, and that in turn shoots that mid-game concern that they're worried about right in the foot, in squads especially, because Mm -hmm. everyone landed at the high-tier loot area, or at least the high-density loot, right? Because they don't do tier systems like, you know, other games. Right. But everyone landed there, and one team made it out strong, and the, you know half the lobby is dead already, and now the other people are still scrambling to find their stuff, they're playing their slow game, they're doing whatever. But you have not enough people for the big circle that's left, because everyone went at it early to try and get those good guns. Instead, you could have, that you know, that slow or medium type of game could be more viable if you just give everyone a little bit more of what they need, depending on solo duo squad. I really like Which that idea. where we need to see more parity between some sort of ranked queue. I, I don't know. I, I say a ranked queue as a sort of a de facto way of saying it based on all the games. But some sort of queue or, or a competitive queue. Because when I watch NPL and I get 10 to 15 minutes into that game and all 64 players are still up, there's not a single person rocking an SMG. There's not a single person holding onto a pistol. Everybody has an assault rifle and they have a DMR or a sniper rifle. And that's not by accident, homie. That's by design. They might have only a 3X and they don't have all their attachments. Like I was saying, less attachments but more guns. But they all have something they all can compete at the ranges that they're going to need to get into fights with. It just might be harder. Yep. I'm not sure whether I agree or disagree yet. But I want to ask you guys three rhetorical questions and give you my thoughts. I want to see if I can change your mind and play the opposite side. Oh, here we go, Steven Crowder. Let's go. You ready? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to list the questions first. First one is, why does PUBG need to rebalance this map? The second one is, what makes PUBG games memorable? And the third one is, what makes PUBG games 
fun. I think these are three critical questions that the players of this game really need to think about. And here's why. I think it is really fun to kill and win in this game. That's my personal opinion. There's other people that have fun playing it different ways. But the interesting thing for me is that my most memorable games in the last few days are two instances where I had scuffed loot or my squad didn't have good enough loot to win their fight, but it was really interesting surviving and getting some kills during that. The first one, I ended up getting two crossbow kills and then murdering a guy with a Uzi. Get out of my life. Get out. The direct quote. <laughs> that's that's his version of trash talk, people. He doesn't go like, go fuck yourself. You suck. And he just goes, get out of my life. Don't ever come back. <laughs> We're done here. You saw that, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes, I think, that clip. We synced it, Mike. We synced it. Okay, so that was one. The second one was off stream, and I was actually playing with Heathy and the One Heart. And they were both thirsted immediately because that's the new meta. And then I was stuck in a shack with a shotgun and a few bullets left in an Uzi. And I ended up killing, I think, five guys by getting one that came in with the shotgun. I took his M4 that had like 13 bullets in it. And then I ended up killing like four other guys in this like 10 square foot area in Razhawk. Those are the games I remember. I don't necessarily remember the fair mid-range fights where I had a 4X fully kitted M4, but I do remember the games that I won that I was fully kitted out. So I guess what I would present to you guys is if we improve the loot too much and we don't allow for there to be games where the loot isn't that good, are we removing the ability to have memorable games where that survival instinct kicks in and you have to figure out how to win. I think that's a really good point, Trigger. You're bringing up a lot of questions that I think people don't think about. Hmm. And I think the reason people don't think about those sort of things is because consciously their experience and how they feel about their experience is very singular. And if I am somebody that only plays first-person perspective duos, then I'm going to base my experience of the game on that solely and how all the decisions the company has made based on my experience affects me personally. As far as a survival game is concerned, third person and first person are two totally different games. Oh yeah, for sure. And to compare the two is comparing apples to oranges because yes, it's the same fruit, but they're two totally different fruits. My experience with first person versus third person is going to be very different in the way that I play the game. Every aspect in between that, between squads and duos and solos, I think there needs to be a way to balance each of those play modes successfully, as well as fostering your competitive community alongside your casual community simultaneously. I think that's the challenge. And I think looking at all of those things both independently and as a whole, is probably a huge developmental nightmare and something that the community doesn't really fully understand. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there because when I first was putting together the notes and looking at this dev letter, my immediate thought was, I want better guns more often. Give me the M4 fully kitted or I'm going to riot. 
But as I sat here and listened to you guys and I was sitting here thinking about it, boy, it's not an easy question to answer. And I think the more we've dissected it, the more I am happy with the stance they're taking and saying, hey, we're going to try some stuff on the test server. Don't read too much into it. They tried adding buildings. Now they're going to try messing with loot. It'll probably be some kind of combo there. But the fact that they're taking all of these things into account, I think is really good because a knee-jerk reaction on this could be really, really detrimental. I 100% agree. And I think that this is a situation in which a binary solution isn't applicable. There is a lot of nuance and a lot of gray area in between. And I think there are so many different camps of people that which you can't please everybody at once. And that is going to be a problem that Blue Hole faces as a whole, is that you can't please everybody at once because everybody plays this game differently. Whether it be by themselves with a friend or with multiple friends, whether it's first person or third person, everybody's experience with this game is is completely unique in their own and different from mine, different from yours. It really doesn't matter. This is a balancing nightmare that people don't fully appreciate. I think that's a really fair statement to make. And it really makes me want to jump into our next topic here because all of these changes are coming on the heels of one big news item that the head of PUBG, Brandon Green, aka Player Unknown, has moved on to a special projects role and stepped down. Which we can only speculate as to what that is. Right. I don't want to speculate too much into it, but do you guys think this has anything to do with the sudden announcement? Do you think this was a marketing thing where like, hey, we're going to make some changes, but we don't want it to shine negatively here? Do you guys think that these changes, this thought of rebalancing the original map has anything to do with the timing of that announcement? I don't, but I'd love to hear everybody else's thoughts. I would think it would definitely have something to do with it, but the specifics, obviously, are unknown. Got it in there. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm assuming that was your special notes on the side, too, just just for that. Uh, <laughs> so I think there's a couple things that are at play here. One is player unknown always was very like adamant in his idea that this was like a survival game and i think that's like the ethos that he preached but as this game developed people don't see it as just that that's not it's not a daisy kind of like we've gotten so far away from that and their, their whole idea of trying to make this into an esport has gotten everyone else thinking that this is more competitive than it is survival so I think that that might play into a little bit of like, now they have the freedom to do this. But I think if you just look at Respawn and Apex and what they've done there, those guys are very, very open with the reasoning behind their changes. And if you ask me, this is the most open that PUBG has ever been about like the real thinking that they had behind something that's so like controversial. like. What do we do with the loot? Well, you know, everyone has an opinion on that. Lakers said everyone has a different way of playing as well. But this seems like the most open they've been uh, about trying to get something more in line with the community thinks. And the whole idea of what they're saying, like the test servers for testing, don't read too much into it. It might not be this way. They've never said anything like that, really. And they've done stuff where it's like, we don't like the level three helmets on Vikendi or, the, you know, should we really have the cave? And they just go like, well, maybe. And then they just put it in there anyway. This seems like they're actually gonna they're actually gonna start listening to people a little bit more and, and trying to take that into account. And you gotta think that that's some market pressure. 
you take one thing away from respawn that's good that might be it right i agree with you right there and to build on that point i want to say this it seems as if in the past blue hole has been very cryptic and passive about the way that they react to the largest voices in their community this dev letter is a step in the right direction but we're still not 100 percent there i don't even think we're 50 percent. yeah of course but if you take guys like let's say shroud Chaco, Wacky Jackie, Moses, and uh, I mean, insert streamer name here. All of those guys have been extremely vocal about the game in the past and present. Some of them even which got special accommodations in the game in the form of skins and they don't even play the game anymore. That should tell you a lot about how the developers of PUBG are probably scrambling to try to figure some things out, right? a lot of the big weight that those names used to carry don't really do the same damage that they did anymore. So I believe that this is 100% a reaction to games like Apex Legends, who came out of the gate swinging hard and low and thick and knocking it out of the park. And now PUBG is having to play catch up and they're like, oh, what can we do to make things better? Well, what is your community saying your game is lacking? Oh, they want better loot on Erangel. Okay, well, fuck it. Do that. Which is not a surprise, but also a surprise considering to me, this has been the number one complaint the game has had for probably the past eight months and not even by secret. Like, this has been a very big, outspoken complaint for a long, long time. And I think that we're finally starting to see all of these people maybe losing interest in the game or stepping away. I mean, I know that we saw Moses over the past week and a half kind of say like, hey, I'm losing some passion towards the game now. If they make some changes that I feel are good for the game and the community, I'll come back into it. But this is a guy that casts the professional PUBG games for a living. That's the only thing he finds interesting because competitive has that loot. It has that interesting dynamic to it where there's, you know, there's the tension between the teams, not just the tension between your team. Like, dude, I really need a scope. Can you just give me one of them? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) This is reactionary. I don't think because Brandon Green left that it is a reaction to that. I think that there is a lot of things compounding the entire situation Brendan Green going off to do something else within the company, for lack of a word, it's just, it's coincidental. It just, I think that it just happened to be because all of these other things aside, you don't just go, well, Apex Legends launched last week, so I'm going to go do some other shit. Like, no, that is a long time coming. You don't make a huge career shift and a move within a company like that without putting into considerable amount of thought. I think this is a reaction to the way they're seeing their player base fall off, they're seeing the market share fall off, and they're finally starting to look at, okay, what can we do to gain some goodwill back? That's exactly what this is. It is a reaction to what the community has been the most outspoken for. See, and I'm not sure that I agree with this because one of the things that I can say about PUBG Corp is that they consistently do things on their schedule and they don't knee-jerk react to anything. They don't, but I feel like this is also a measured response to all of that. Maybe, but th- consider this. A lot of the big streamers have left. PUBG has not gone out and lit themselves on fire 
to try to get them back. We all know that companies can go out and pay a boatload of money to get big streamers to play their games. Yeah, Shroud Ninja and Doc will tell you that. They'll tell you that, they'll do it, and they'll play anything for it, which I think is why this market is so cool. But when people speak out, PUBG does not have a history of greasing the squeaky wheel. It used to drive me nuts working in retail when people would give the person that's coming in and yelling at employees in the store what they wanted. And the same thing is going on right now. The voices that are speaking the loudest have been squeaking for a while, and they're not getting greased. I don't know that that's a bad thing, but what I think it suggests is that PUBG is focused on something else. They're not focused on these big community streamers, because one of the most interesting things, if you go look at the communities following even the mid-size or the bigger streamers, not many people watching them are playing PUBG. They like watching that person play PUBG, but the majority of the people left playing the game, and I could be overgeneralizing, but I think where PUBG is making their money is not from these big communities to an extent, specifically in the NA market. For sure. And I think this alludes to that, is that they're focusing on something for a global product, not necessarily what's popular in the NA streaming community. I can see that. Right Now I say all that, and some of my favorite streamers that play this game no longer play it. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily like that they're going away. I don't necessarily like that some of the bigger voices are going away. But I don't know that this is a reaction to that. Well, I think there is one thing to consider. And that is, there will always be streamers who, I don't want to say jump the shark, but they're going to chase the trendy product. Hang on, what's jump jump the shark? What does that even mean? Did you make that up or is that like an expression that people use? It's an American expression. Seriously? Yeah, he, he jumps the shark. Kind of like the don't count your chickens before they hatch sort of thing. It's like don't make big decisions thinking it's going to, to work out or, or get ahead of yourself. Like don't put the cart before the horse. It's just sort of an expression like that. Shark or horse pick, man. Come on. Seal. No, I don't know. If you look at Shroud... I think he's probably the best example in our community as somebody who said, PUBG's it, dude, this is the future. This is going to be the game that I main from now on because I went from being a huge deal in Counter-Strike to now being the biggest streamer in PUBG. I think if you look at at the time, his equal, who was Dr. Disrespect, who the first two community members to receive skins for the game were both Shroud and Dr. Disrespect. I think that says a lot about both of them as as streamers and, and influences in the community. Look at Dr. Disrespect as a streamer. Fun guy, fun to watch, but he's chasing the trend. He doesn't care necessarily what the game is. He cares whether or not his audience wants to watch him play it. And granted, some of that has to do with the fact of his personality. He's somebody who's enjoyable. People like watching him stream regardless of whatever he's playing. But he's playing the game that he thinks people want him to play. On the other hand, Shroud is somebody who I have seen put games at the top of Twitch lists that shouldn't be there. Resident Evil 2, uh, Jurassic Park Evolution, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Those games topped out at the most watched games on Twitch at, at times because... That's what Shroud was playing at the time. So when people see Shroud play other games, they're like, oh shit, PUBG must be dead. No, 
these guys just amassed a huge following and a community that regardless of whatever that person plays, they're going to follow them and watch them play it, which is the exact same reason why he and Ninja and Dr. Disrespect and a handful of other streamers and influencers got paid by EA and Respawn Entertainment to go and beta test and play their game and play their game on stream and promote it. It was the most genius marketing idea for a video game company because they didn't have to put any other money into marketing the game with traditional ads, whether it be print media, billboards, uh, internet ads, um, bumpers, TV commercials, none of that shit. It didn't matter one iota because they knew that these people carried enough clout and influence within their communities and the online gaming scene that if they saw them playing it, that would be the next game that would be popular. And that's 100% what the fuck went down. Yeah, that works to a degree. Like I've seen that work. We've all just seen that work with Apex, but I've seen the same model be done for other games. And I'll bring up one that I really like and I really want to see do well is Darwin Project. They brought in Shroud, they brought in Lyric, they brought in CDN the third. They brought in a lot of people for a tournament in duos. And it was a cool tournament. About three of the people had played the game more than five hours ever. They weren't brought in ahead of time and told to play and like learn the meta, do all this stuff. This wasn't a game that was completely ready for market. Like I said, I love the game, it's great but it wasn't completely ready for market. They'll even say that if you go into their Discord and chat with them. The game, the, that game is good, right? But like, it didn't hook the streamers that played it in the same way that Apex did. Apex, those guys got done being paid and they kept logging in and playing because it's a legitimately good game and it's one that got their hooks in. So you can do that. Oh, I'll pay the streamers to come in and do it. But if they're not going to play it the next day and the next day, if they're not actually having an awesome time, and they're just saying, oh, this is kind of fun. You won't get the same reaction. So, I mean, I'm just saying, like, that's not, like, the end-all, be-all, the only way to make a game popular is to just pay people to play it. That's just a thought. No, but on that topic, though, I, I bet you Chaco Taco could probably be more successful if he streamed Apex every day. But he doesn't because he still likes PUBG. I mean, and again, I realize all that is subjective and very preferential, but I think that... Every game has its its high moment, and especially if it's going to become an eSport, they have their high, and then they have that point where they just come back down and they level out at. CSGO is there. Smite is there. Dota and League of Legends are there. They've reached the peak of their popularity to some extent, and they just continue to sit right where they need to be in order to maintain a consistent competitive scene. Is that enough for PUBG? No, uh, that's, that's a, there's a lot in that question. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's loaded. Man. Going back to like the loot changes, it's not as big of a deal for someone who's going to frag no matter what to get the loot that they need to be still awesome. You know, going and like ready, fully kitted. Right, your average player might have a lot harder time pulling off some play to get the loot they need if the loot isn't like you know balanced enough. So they're going into the mid game with a crap loot and Chaco Taco, who's already leagues and leagues better than them, has everything he could ever want. Maybe he's fooling around with a, you know, crossbow, but he still has that backup gun that he knows is going to get him out of that situation. Whereas you can't compete at the range he's trying to engage you at or whatever it may be. No, I don't think we're at the right leveling off period because I think there's things like loot 
that need to be addressed so that your normal players can feel like they maybe have a chance. I just feel like that often ends up being a problem too. I was just curious, just sitting here thinking about that, like when you brought up Taco and I was like, oh yeah, he's going to be the guy that shits on everybody else because he's the guy who can survive regardless of whatever gun you put in his hands. But do you think that that's maybe creating a negative balance compared to other players because he's setting off a precedent or setting a bar that is way too high that other people couldn't potentially even reach if they wanted to? In the weirdest way possible, you just came full circle on what I was talking about with why I don't believe PUBG Corp is focused on one area, specifically big streamers or people that are vocal in the community. I think all of this recent interaction with the community through the dev letter and what they're trying to do with patches suggests that they're looking at all areas of the game. Casual players, streamers, mid-size, small-size, and the competitive scene. And I think they're trying to make everybody happy in the long run at the expense of the short-term feelings in the game. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think they've also heard that, you know, we'll, we'll use a politics term, the silent majority is playing other games. Even Chaco has said recently, and we're going to just keep plugging Chaco here, right? Chaco has said the games just, it, it feels harder to pull off a 20 kill game for him because other players are just damn good. You got our homies like Iliads, who's just like, getting consistently like hey i fought chaco i won you know it's like there's good players out there that play every single day just like him they might not play for 10 hours and they might not just be you know chaco but they're good they're really good players there's just this like the leveling out that we're at now isn't i think where we could be in terms of leveling out i think we could level out with way more players if they made these these measured and smart choices i like i really like that they're not rushing into it but if you're only appealing to like diehard players because the casuals can't feel like they're even getting a chance to keep up, you're going to have an issue. That makes sense. So at that point, is it a race to the middle? Like, are you then pandering to your lowest common denominator? I mean, you're just trying to make a balance, like a game that's balanced to make the most people happy without being, yeah, I guess you don't want to like go too far in either direction or, or just water it down too much. Clearly, something has to be done to keep people in, engaged on a larger scale. Mm. Yeah, this conversation has definitely given me a better appreciation for like the development of this game. Yeah, things that, in broad strokes, before I thought I would just change. And yeah, there's a lot more to it. That's kind of why I wanted to play, like like you said, uh, One Heart, like playing devil's advocate to this whole situation is like not just saying definitively black and white. Do these things and the game will be better. I think that there's way more nuance to the game than that. And it would be a disservice to everyone, whether it be casual, competitive, or your high-level streamers, to, to make those large sweeping changes. I think we see that in the community both on Reddit. We see it both on Twitter. All of the vocal minority or majority, based on upvotes or what everybody has to say, everybody has a difference of opinion, and I think that really just boils down to the fact that this game fosters a lot of different play styles, more so than any other game in existence that I can think of. If you want to be someone that camps in a building and waits for the circle to close and you're just going to play super measured and, and conservative, you have every right in the world to do so. Like, you have no onus or no responsibility to play the game any differently than what you see fit in order to survive. 
And I think that's a huge struggle because not everybody believes that the game should be played the exact same way. Yeah, and if I had to put a bow on this conversation, we tried three separate times to talk about Brandon Green moving his position. And we ended up not being able to do it. And I think that speaks to the development of this game. You all are laughing, but I'm serious on this because honestly, I don't think one person on the development team matters. No. And I think more importantly, everybody who's playing this game or watching somebody stream this game is having the same exact conversations we are nearly every day about loot, about balance, about what direction this needs to go, about why are people playing different games, about, ooh, I killed Choco Taco, woohoo me, about all of these things. And this is what makes this game so cool and so intriguing and so frustrating at times. Was that a, a dig at grief for the killing Choco <laughs> this week? I wouldn't have said anything, man. Link in the show notes. Okay. Uh, so, anyway, I I think we need to move on. But it really is a topic that could be discussed for hours. But at the end of the day, I don't think any of it's happening as a result of one person making a move in a company. Maybe that's newsworthy. Maybe it's not. That was a cool discussion to have, and I'm sure it will continue in the Discord and any stream of PUBG you watch in the future. Yeah, that dovetailed pretty hard. But thank you, Brandon Green, for everything you've done for the game. We do love you, even though we talk a lot of shit, and that's the general community. And uh, I'm glad you're not completely gone, and get to work on PUBG 2, my friend. Thank you. One thing to point out is that when people talk shit about a game, it's usually because they have a passionate opinion about it, and they like it, and they want it to see it get better. That was a really like conflicting part for me, is trying to like tell uh, people when I was still modding for the PUBG subreddits, was like, Dude, I know you love this game, but the way you're going about it is one, directly breaking our rules. So, you know, I'm just going to enforce that, so stop it. But two, like, you're not going about it in a constructive way. When I would have conversations with some of these guys about, like, hey, maybe just don't, you know, completely break the rules and, you know, call one person out, you know, maybe we can go about this in a different way. You get someone who then calms down a little bit and comes out in a better way, but, like, People do get so involved in the game that they get frustrated and just start shouting and get like incensed with an idea because the game means that much to them. It wasn't fun for me to silence them, so I just quit that job. People really love this game, and modding Reddit showed me just how much. And uh, it speaks to the game and the power of it and uh, what Brennan Green kind of made, you know, out of a mod. Very cool. No doubt. I want to get into some gameplay tips here. It's been really easy to focus on the news items over the last few weeks and we did the interview, but I really want to dig into uh, some tactical tips or the best time to use them. So as I've watched Griff's videos about getting better at PUBG or rather why I suck at PUBG, yes, I take it personally, <laughs> I want to make sure that we get some game knowledge or differing opinions on certain tactics at the very least rather than just focusing on the news every episode. So let's talk about aggression and when to use it. I think we all probably have different scenarios when we like to use aggression. So let's break some of those down. I've been accused of being way too aggressive in squads. So let's start with somebody else. Heath, hit me with your hot aggro take. What or when 
should we use aggression? When do you like to use it? Man, it's pretty intimidating because I feel like the little fish here because I've played with all you guys and I feel like I'm the least aggressive. So me going first, I feel like you're just going to shit on my advice, but I'd love to hear it. So this is why I actually floated this idea for discussion because I want to get better at being aggressive. And I've only recently noticed my I'm more aggressive in PUBG from playing Apex and it's been paying some dividends. So just as a starting point, I want to just take the word aggressive and think more of it as like assertive, you know, like rather than reacting to other players, be assertive and and force them into situations. So, yeah, you don't have to be charging out around a rock spraying. I mean, just just making them move rather than you moving as opposed to sitting in a corner and listening and waiting for something to happen, which is very boring. So... Yeah, that, that scalability of aggression is what I think I try and focus on now. So if you're, you're in a room, for instance, and there's someone in the next building and you both just stop to hear each other, rather than wait for them to come into your building and kill them, make a distraction or, you know, shoot at a window, just just pull them into a direction. Oh, actually, the other day was a good example when I was playing with you and uh, Trigger, that is. I think you were in there, Griff, as well. And for, for once, both of you guys had were down and thirsted and I was the only one left. And I was sitting behind a wall in Miramar and there was another team on the other side of the wall and Trigger had the foresight to tell me to throw a smoke grenade all the way to the other end of the wall. So not over the wall, like down the wall and then loop around the wall. And as, as soon as the smoke hit the ground, you know, their whole team all just focused on that smoke and I was, I had the opportunity to walk around behind them and I got to take out three of the four and then there was that guy lying down behind a car that got me in the end. But it was, it was a really effective but aggressive play, particularly when your teammates are down. That's that's the perfect opportunity to, to work on going aggressive, you know, because no one wants to watch you just sit in a corner. But you know what it's like when you're watching your teammates sit and just bandage and, you know, shimmy and, and you're dead just waiting for something to happen. It's it's so enjoyable to watch your teammates just go completely insane and try and get killed and then they end up kicking ass. Yeah, you know? you bring up a really good point. The utility of certain items that's not necessarily used for maybe the most common practice. So using a smoke as a distraction, even a frag grenade can do that. And I really like that because your definition of aggressive is more like assertive. And what you did there was you took a situation and you dictated how it was going to play out, at least how you thought it was going to play out. So I love that. I think that's a great example of something you can do to take control of a battle that may not have been in your favor and maybe move the tide in your direction. On the flip side of it, you mentioned that there's scenarios where you want to get more aggressive. What are the ones that you're practicing? Where do you want to get better? Well, generally, if I'm in a situation and I, and I take a moment to think, you know, am I going to win this encounter? So I've, I've just spotted someone or they've spotted me and the position I'm in, I kind of assess, you know, what are my chances of winning this fight? Like, if we, are we both standing in a field? We both have guns. You know, that's that's like 50-50 chance I'm going to win this fight. And if, if my chances are lower than 50-50, I don't engage, if I can help it. But I'm, I'm wondering if that ratio is, is wrong. Should I be pressing more often? Because I don't, I don't get huge kills. I think my most quick kills I've ever got and won the game was nine in solos. And I've watched you guys stream and played with you before, and you kind of seem like you do a lot better than than me through through your aggressiveness. So I know I'm asking you guys: would if you had a fifty fifty opportunity of winning an engagement, would you take it or would you? Oh, that's a good question. 
I'm going to defer and let these guys answer that one because I think my play style is a little different from theirs, and I'll take that when we circle back to me at the end. What do you think on that, Griff? I like to use a lot of uh, calculated aggression. Unless I'm in a place where I'm like super tilted and I'm just not making good choices, then I'm just making poor aggressive choices. But when I'm thinking clearly about how I want to approach a situation and I want to be more aggressive, the thing that I think about the most is not being 100% aggressive, but instead of being passive aggressive, I'm proactive aggressive. In the sense that, let's say I land somewhere like we're on Sanok and I land Camp Charlie or Camp Bravo. And I've got players held up in a building. They know where I am and I know where they are. Well, a good way to think about that is there was a game that came out a handful of years ago called Splinter Cell Conviction. And there was a mechanic in that game where the enemies in the game, if they spotted you, would note your last known location and act upon that information. So going, hey, this is the last place I saw you. We're all going to pretend, quote unquote, that that is where you are and act accordingly. Players in PUBG do the exact same thing. I do it. You do it. It doesn't matter. If you know somebody is in a building, whether or not you saw them leave it, you're only concerned about whether or not they're still in there and to watch where they are or watch their last known location. So what I like to do is, like I said, proactive aggression, where I use a tactic in which I call it basically the be where they aren't. I try to think of, okay, if I were them, where wouldn't I go? And I base my movement decisions off that. I'm going to go to a place where I don't think they would go keeping in mind that they could go there and anticipate just in case. But I'm going to go where I don't think they will go and try to get a position in which they don't anticipate me being based on the fact that they know where I was and where they think I might go. So it's really, it just boils down to a lot of different mind games about how I choose the aggressive plays that I take and don't take. Yeah, I do love that, that the mind games you mentioned. I think um, MTP Trigger mentioned it earlier as well, just the, the kind of the shock and awe you can get away with. But, you know, the, even if you throw a grenade as a distraction or, or as a sound cover, I think you mentioned that in mm-hmm. some of your videos, Griff. Yeah, it flattens the noise out completely, just like a flashbang would. You don't have to actually hit them with it. But getting them into that fretful mindset where they're, they're, they're almost fumbling their keyboard and flicking their mouse around because they don't really know where you are. You're shooting through one window whilst you're running past and opening the door. Actually, that's one of the, my funner ones I like to do when I'm actually pushing a building is as you run at the building, you flick the door open as you run past it and then shoot them through the window straight away. Well, the beauty of PUBG in and of itself is the fact that there really is no necessity to play aggressively unless there are literally no other options in order to succeed. So unless you're outside the play zone and the circle is pushing you away from your cover and you now have to walk into danger in order to be safe, which is, you know, an oxymoron. But unless you're having to do that, you really don't have to play aggressively. And I put that in a big quotes because the idea of playing aggressively is really bought upon the uh, expectations that we as the community have set whether it be the the videos that we post to Reddit or clips that we highlight on Twitter 
or this the way that the streamers themselves play the game. Like there's really no necessity to do that. But if you're somebody who wants to play more aggressively, then you have to figure out more creative ways in order to succeed than I think most other players have to. I agree with that. I think in general, this game rewards both styles of play, whether it's aggressive or not aggressive. And to your point, Heathy, it's really a 50-50 a lot of the time on what your choice is. And it's super situational. I want to ask uh, One Heart here because I think I've probably gotten him killed by me playing too aggressive <laughs> more than anybody else here. So perhaps you can tell everybody when not to be aggressive and uh, feel free to throw me under the bus if you need to. But I also want to hear your thoughts on when to do it as well. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've probably died a few times trying to trying to keep up with uh, the way that you just like to, to see and go and then say, oh, hey, by the way, I'm fighting at the full team. You know, it's, it's their style. It's cool. But there's a huge difference between blind aggression and being assertive, like Heathy was saying. Being assertive puts you in situations where you're assessing, okay, they're here, and I know maybe where the rest of the team is. What are my options from there? When you brought up the Raza game where Heathy died, and then we decided, we'll go gung-ho. We did two very different things. I went in with blind aggression saying, fuck it, I'm going to get somebody and I'm going to thirst them. I didn't get anybody and I died because I got caught in the middle of the field just running with a bison and that's it. You went and got like six kills and then continued to get like three more because you you were assertive. You saw a guy, you saw the lane, you saw the way you had to get in there and you played your game and you took those steps instead of just guy, see him, go. That doesn't work. I'll, I'll attest to that. There's times when not to push for sure. I think the biggest thing is, how much information do you have before you make that aggressive push? Before you decide to get assertive? If you're going in with only information on where two guys are, there's a good chance someone's going to be way off to the left trying to catch up with their team that now is saying, yo, we got guys, contact, whatever. That is going to be the guy that kills you. You can take out three people, but that fourth guy gets you. You're not winning the game. How much information you have should dictate whether or not you're going to you're going to push and be aggressive, do those things. You know that comes just down to team fighting in general. Are you cutting off the lane of two people? You know, so you can only focus on one. You have to play the information game there. Another time when to not be aggressive is at range. A lot of time, you know, we're, we talked a lot about loot and situations where you might have a good setup to go and get into this fight but your team is not at all equipped to do that yet they might be after you guys push this team and kill them and loot them because that's the best loot in the game it's a player creep but if you're the only one with the car and eat four times and the rest of them have to go and figure out a way to get closer why don't you all just get closer before that team's alerted to your position because the best time of fight for you is the time before the team knows that you're hitting them. It's that opening blow. So if you can't have a good entry frag, where you have to go off the assumption that that guy won't move one centimeter to the left when you line up that headshot, you're in a position where that's just you getting thirsty for those kills and trying to go in a little too early. So I think that's it's, it's how much information you have. Do you know enough and does your team as a crew, do they know what you know 
before you go and make that choice. I think that's what gets us in trouble is that you can run at a speed where you only have to give maybe minimal information to your team and you can handle yourself in a certain way that'll work, but the rest of us aren't quite there and we're not quite as up to speed. So you're rushing in without telling us what you're thinking doesn't help. So I know you just switched to open mic with a shut up button instead of a talk button for lack of a better term, right? Trying to like, you know, talk more about what is happening for you as you go through the motions of, yeah, I'm going to push these guys. So you might not have cut down on how much you push people, but you'll at least tell us you're pushing. I think it's a big information game. I think you made a really good point there. And I think that aggression should be situational. I think that there are times in which playing aggressive benefits you as a player, whether it's solos, duos, or squads. And there's other times where it just doesn't work out. Like, say you're playing on Erangel or Miramar, for instance, and you're running through a field or an open area where there's not a lot of cover and a vehicle drives by. Like, what incentive do you really have to shoot the person in that vehicle knowing the chances of you killing them is super low? Like, okay, great. So you've given away a ton of information. Everybody knows where you are. And maybe the other player also gets the wild hair up their ass. And now they're going to want to stop. They want a piece of your action. So you've put yourself at more of a risk unnecessarily just because you felt the need to be aggressive and try to get a kill. Like, it doesn't always mean that it's a viable move. And I think that based on where you're at, if you can be in a position where, oh, me being aggressive isn't going to cost me my life. Like, okay, maybe that that's totally different versus just you running out there going, oh, fuck it, I'm going to shoot some shots and see what happens. It, it's not going to be the same situation. I don't appreciate you quoting me with that last one. Well, I'm going to shoot some shots. That's that's me. I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm learning, okay? <laughs> I don't appreciate the, the direct dig there, okay? Thanks. That's just why you suck at PUBG. Yeah, true. All right. Let's move on from that one, huh? Bam. Got him. <laughs> what do you think, Trigman? What, what's your... What's your thoughts on this? Because you're clearly our most aggressive player. For me, this one's pretty simple. I think ultimately the best opportunity to win in this game is to surprise somebody. And if that wasn't clear enough, I think aggressive play is rewarded if done correctly. So if you guys all said very key things about thinking about aggressive play, information is the number one thing in being aggressive, in my opinion. And it's more than just information on where the other person is or where the other squad is. I think in order to be really effective with aggressive play, you have to have good map knowledge. Mm -hmm. If you don't know the angles, if you don't know how a certain building is laid out, it doesn't mean don't be aggressive. It just means you may leave yourself open or more open than somebody who knows the angles and know how the building is laid out. So I really think in solos, it comes down to winning 1v1s. No question about it. You got to win your 1v1s. If you're going to win the match, you have to at least outsmart one other person when it's just two of you. Super rare to not have to kill somebody and have the zone do it. But I really think that in any mode, solos, duos, squads, you gotta win the first 1v1. Furthermore, I think the vast majority of players are the most comfortable when they're playing in medium and long range fights, right? You got a 3x, you got a 4x, 
you're at least 200 meters apart. Most people can peek around a tree or a rock and that's a pretty comfortable fight. And if you lose it, you typically know why. Oops, I peeked the same way twice. So man, they hit a great headshot. So I really think aggressive play is the most effective when it's short range and sometimes into the mid range. At the end of the day, I think aggressive play or assertive play boils down to one thing. Make them react. You don't want to be the one reacting pretty much ever. I think in any scenario, you want to be the one dictating what's going on. That's why I, I tell squad mates, I say throw a grenade, shoot random shots, make it sound like you're in a firefight with another squad, break glass, push them. Watching Hambino this week and he, he gets, when someone's in the next building, he gets on the, on the comms and just goes, oh man, look, I've come over here guys, I found a level three helmet. Like, like he's pretending he's talking to his teammates and you see someone just come bolting out the door and running straight at him. Right, exactly. It's it's flipping the script. Use anything you can to dictate where someone may go or to make them react the way you want them to. Be assertive. My favorite time to be aggressive is when somebody's nearby or when they're at mid-range and they catch me in a house. And I bring this one up specifically because the general thought is if you run up on a house or if you're the one in the house that you've got to defend that because you have walls. So the thing I would encourage everybody to try is when they're pushing, jump out the window. Know that you can hit fire while you're falling. If they're running up to the front, jump out the back, flank them, create an interesting angle, but don't just sit in the corner. Don't run around upstairs. Don't give them that easy information. Make them react to something that they're not used to seeing. And it will usually result in either something memorable, like I talked before, or you'll end up winning the fight, which is ultimately the goal. Yeah, it's a good it's a good idea to kind of keep in mind. And, and I know Griff covers this and is why he suck at PUBG is, is using hardcover and knowing the difference between hardcover and softcover, right? You can oftentimes, especially if, you know, the big theme tonight is Erangel, there's a lot of houses with those broken walls out front. That is going to give you a lot more ability to kind of move around using that softcover which again is just not having four walls around you and one window to peek out of. It's, it's having one or two little areas that are that are safe while you can peek over and, and try and shoot at the person that's actually the problem. You can do a lot more with that. And you can, you know, you can just create situations where now they're not sure where you are. If you've made noise and you're in that room and then you clam up, they still have a pretty good idea that you're just being a bitch in the corner. Clamming up in that situation is not going to help you. Did any of you guys ever play chess or do you play chess currently? Yeah, I was a big chess guy when I was younger. Yeah, then I got internet. I used to be a professional chess player. Like um, when I, I say that in quotes, I was 12 and I got paid to play chess. So there's an asterisk next to your name. Got it. Yeah, big, a big one. Yeah, because well, the next year they put me in opens and then I never won a game again. But this game is very much like chess for a few reasons. But one of them in, in chess is a big one is to always get your enemy moving to your step and not the other way around and the other is you only have to kill one piece on the board which is in PUBG is the second last person and in chess obviously it's the king and if you focus on just doing that you're going to win games that's true I mean there's times you got to make sacrificial moves but I think all in all there's tons of strategy and I think calculated aggression that people need to take into consideration and 
not just barreling into a building because you know somebody's in there, but understanding what are the best angles that benefit me in my position and what benefits them in their position and playing around that. Right. And keep in mind that everyone's trying to survive and they're trying to predict what the next move is. You know, so if you're shooting car 98 shots out of a building, the person who shoots at you next knows what gun you have and knows you have a sniper rifle. Mm -hmm. Use that to your advantage and don't peek the window that they're expecting you to peek. You know, throw a grenade out the window in the other direction like there's another fight going on. Spray into the wall. Do, do whatever you can, right? Make it different so that they have to make a different decision than just, I'm going to stare down this window until he peeks me. One of my favorite quotes about video games comes from The Mighty Ducks 3, and it was the head coach of uh, the Eaton High Warriors when he told Charlie Conway, make them make the first move, which works great in a very intense survival situation. If you think about it in that point, you're going, okay, I don't know what to do. Well, make them make the first move. Like, play reactively off of them. I know that that goes against things I've said about playing proactively in the past, but when you're in a position in which it's like, I don't have a proactive choice to make, let them make the mistake. That's kind of how the defense in baseball works. It's not about looking at the pitcher going, okay, I need to pitch nine straight strikes this inning, but rather let them hit the ball into play, let my defense take care of it, and we'll get the outs the way that we need to to get out of this inning. So let them make mistakes. Let people fuck up for you, and then you react based off of that. Quack. 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 <laughs> I do love that reference. That's pretty great. Flying V. Yeah, the Flying V is, a, is an effective PUBG way to die, actually. But <laughs> yeah. When you all funnel into a single room. That said, it can be good to push multiple people. The moral of the story is there's going to be more loot. So Try to be aggressive. Try it out if you haven't done it before because it's going to be easier to get their best loot. You're going to get into games faster. And if you're aggressive, you're going to win more games. It's easy. Just do it. That's what Chaco does. Quack. 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 Ducks fly together. Well, we beat a lot of these topics to death, so that just about wraps us up for the evening. Uh, anybody have any final thoughts before we jump out of here? Yeah, I got one. If you're a player who's saying, yeah, I want to be aggressive, but my version of aggressive is different than yours, I can't secure these kills maybe the way that someone else, you know, who's talking can. And we're also talking about, you know, when to be aggressive and, and how to be unpredictable. Try being the X factor for a while. When I was learning the game on Xbox... I was realizing that squads wasn't for me yet because I couldn't keep up with the squad that I was playing with because I just wasn't getting in enough encounters. But it's not always about just hot dropping over and over or just spending all your time in training grounds because you got to have that unpredictability. So try some games being the X factor. Just be the guy who's just driving around waiting for someone to shoot him so you can just get out and do something that is completely antithetical to winning the game because all you care about is owning that one guy. So you're going to do all the crafty little things you can come up with. 
those will really help when you do try and survive later on when you're playing with your friends or you're playing with yourself. Oh, that came off weird. <laughs> when you're playing Go solo, on. it'll all help, you know? Just try and be unpredictable and try those games out where you're just going to do something that no one's going to, you know, no sane man would really ever try this. Try it. See what happens. You'll you'll learn what you can get away with and you'll start getting away with more and then those 50-50s will feel like they're more weighted in your favor because you'll have that confidence going into it. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that crazy strategies work a lot more often than they don't because of the unpredictability. And it also makes you learn the map in different ways. 100%. And One Heart said this earlier, he's been dropping at Paradise exclusively in Sandhawk for the past week or so. He's figuring out that one area of the map so he knows all the angles and he can surprise people that may not know that area as well as he does. And I think that's a critical piece is, look, if you're trying to figure out how to play more aggressive, do it in one spot on the map. Okay, every time I run into paradise, I'm going aggro on people. I'm going to storm these buildings. I'm going to figure out where they're camping. It's just a great way to learn it. Pick a spot on the map and do it there. I 100% agree with that. I think uh, repetition and familiarity are going to be the two big keys to success. And the more you know, the more you can apply to your decision-making. Mr. Scientist, any final remarks? Take the fall, act hurt, get recognition. Also from the Mighty Duck. I didn't even Google that. I remember that from my chess days. You're basically just encouraging our, our players to lie and cheat. Exactly how I want them to play this game. What do you mean? Get crafty, friends. If what you're doing isn't working, do something different. If the slap shot isn't working and passing the puck isn't working, shoot the knuckle puck, okay? <laughs> Send them something they haven't seen. Be aggressive, be assertive, change the script, let's go. Yeah, because when you're developing a team for the Junior Goodwill Games to represent the United States of America, three-fourths of your team should definitely come from uh, Minnesota, and the rest should be this weird hodgepodge of kids that really have no business playing in the highest level of competitive peewee hockey the United States has to offer to the rest of the world. Also, learn how to stop. Yeah, Luis Mendoza, you fuck. <laughs> and why was, why was Dean Portman on the team? He was just a fucking goon. That was, it makes no sense. And then Kenny Wu, oh, he was a figure skating champion. He doesn't know shit about hockey. And then you got uh, Dwayne Robinson, oh, he's a puck handler from Texas. That's just pandering to people from the South. The only real player on that team that I could believe with any sincerity was, was Julie the Cat Gaffney. Because A, she was from Maine. It gets cold as shit up there. What are they going to do for fun? They're definitely going to play some fucking hockey. And of course she would be a goalie. She's incredible. I honestly never thought I would figure out why you are the way you are. And it's because of how much you hate Mighty Ducks. There's a lot to unpack, for sure. All I can say about the Bruisers is that was back when hockey had a little bit of grit, okay? They've since changed the rules, but you needed an enforcer back in the day. And I want that back. So, you know, NHL, if you're listening, bring back the uh, the fighting. For the record... I love the Mighty Ducks. Those are some of my favorite movies of all time. Okay? You know every character in it, so you know I was just messing with you. I've been following Joshua Jackson's career for years to the point where, like, Fringe is one of my favorite shows of all time just because he's on it. Also because it's a dope show, but also... Have you checked if he plays PUBG? 
I have not. Let's get him on the show. Well, that's worth investigating. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else, guys? <laughs> At Joshua Jackson, what is he doing? Well, outside of in front of your TV that still has the VHS tapes hooked up to it, Griff, where can people find you and your videos? They can find me over at youtube.com slash grifflicious. That is G-R-I-F-F-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Um, and you can also find me at Twitter, at grifflicious. It'll be the same handle. And I'm also on Reddit, at grifflicious. If you haven't noticed the pattern, I am grifflicious everywhere. Uh, it should be super easy to find me. So, yeah, find me on Twitter, find me on Reddit, find me on YouTube, I'm trying to make the best PUBG videos I can to help new and returning players to PUBG trying to learn new things. So, yeah, definitely hit me up. Uh, Heathy, where can people find you, sir? Yeah, uh, Instagram. You can find the podcast Instagram, actually. The Instagram forward slash Wiener Podcast. I do have a Twitch account of Heathy Keithy, but until the internet fairy comes and makes things all better here, I will not be doing much on there. But feel free to follow me, and then when I do get on there, I'll have heaps of followers, and it'll be great. Awesome. One heart laid on us, man. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I haven't really decided if I'm actually going to ever really stream on Twitch. I, I got it kind of set up. I, I don't know if I care enough at this point to be to be sticking to a schedule and actually getting on there. But you can follow me there. Both is the one heart. Uh, actually, on Twitter, it's at the one heart live, which is just an oxymoron at this time because I don't go live. I'm not on Reddit in the same way I've been. So I kind of brought it up here, but I'm not modding the console stuff for uh, PUBG anymore. I just don't want to dictate what the conversation goes on that much anymore. And honestly, I just got tired of deleting posts about cheating and uh, I think those people do probably need a way to, to talk about the serious issues that are going on with the console version and I got tired of policing it so I'm kind of out of that a little bit but I'm still on Reddit but yeah, just find me on Twitter Awesome, and as always my handle on everything is MTB Trigger. I'm on Twitch and Twitter and Discord most of the time so if you're wanting to chat games find me on Twitch because you know that's what I'm there to talk about other than that guys thanks for being on thanks for hanging out this is Winner Winner signing off we want to thank Spiffy Man as always for the music you can find him on Spotify and Bandcamp there will be links in the show notes for everything we've talked about the dev letter the links to the news items on Mr. Player Unknown and also links to our Discord. If you haven't joined there, that's the number one place to get connected, find people to play with, and just hang out and chat about things. We also have an Instagram and a winner winner Twitter. So check us out. Thank you all for sticking with us. Winner winner 